golfers now. <laughs> Pro golfers now. Okay. Yeah. And to be clear, not golf. We like golf. We like pro golf. We watch pro golf. We don't play pro golf, but we play bad golf. But pro golfers, is there a more moanier, whingier crowd of people on the planet? What have the pro golfers done to annoy you? <laughs> uh, they have annoyed us, Pat. Let's be clear. They've annoyed us on the Added Time Sports Podcast with me, Maliki Clerken, and you, Pat Nugent. They've annoyed me, at least this week, um, at the Honda Classic in Florida. Um, the 17th hole in the Honda Classic is um, they're trying to make it a little bit like the 16th at the Phoenix Open, which is the more one of the more famous holes on the PGA Tour. It's the one with all the beer-drinking masses all around the short par 3 uh, 16th at Phoenix. Uh, there's a par 3 17th at uh, the Honda Classics course, the PGA National down in Florida. And they're trying to generate the same atmosphere. They're trying to make it fun. Trying to make it fun. Woe betide anybody that would try and make golf fun. Uh, And the problem is, Pat, they're trying to make it a little too much fun for these moany PGA Tour golfers. Uh, Among them, the likes of Ian Poulter and... Even even Graham McDowell, although Graham McDowell had a good line this week. He said that if the wind is wrong on the 17th tee, you can get a vodka cranberry splashed on you. They're that close. Which, in fairness, they should be allowed to go about their day without a vodka cranberry splashed on. True. But this carry on about giving out, about people heckling and roaring and shouting while you're trying to take your shot. Do they really not see that they're the only sport in the world where they up, where the absolute silence is a prerequisite for them to go about their day. They should watch a, a Tottenham fullback go and take a throw in a <laughs> North London derby at some yeah, point. Exactly. Or this Sunday, Pat, when Tipperary are playing Kilkenny down in Nolan Park. Indeed. When somebody's lining up a sideline cut, which is completely analogous to a tee shot in golf. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be a few things coming from the sideline. There'll be more than a few things. Especially when the Kilkenny players are taking them and your They're horrible the Tipperary people are behind them. Parentages being questioned <laughs> and, and awful aspersions being cast. And I get it. I get it. I wrote a column about this a few months ago and I got people writing in going, hey, what, what about rugby? What about science for the kicker in rugby? That's bullshit too. It's complete bullshit. Stand up and kick the bloody ball. <laughs> Yeah, their, their, their pleas for silence are absolutely ridiculous. Every time I hear people giving out about this, it reminds me of uh, a friend of ours, the renowned hurling writer Enda McAvoy down in Kilkenny, talking about watching the Masters in a, in a proper hurling bar in Kilkenny and a guy lining up a putt and he drained, I think it was Tiger Woods, drained a, a 30-foot putt and some wit from the end of the bar just kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, yeah, it's easy for him to do that with nobody marking him. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, on to stuff that isn't going to annoy us this weekend. Later on, we'll have uh, Keith Duggan and Ian O'Reardon talking about the big uh, football matches this weekend, including Mayo and Dublin uh, tomorrow night. But uh, we'll start with the rugby. There's only one place to start, really. Wales are coming to the Aviva tomorrow. Uh, Jerry Thornley and Gordon Darcy have come in to join us. Thanks very much, lads. Jerry, the... This is a far bigger game than, maybe not a bigger game, but a more worrying game than we thought maybe three weeks ago. How did, how did we get there? Um, perhaps because of the simple um, fact that 
Wales have regained three Lions players in Lee Halfpenny, Liam Williams and Dan Bigger, whereas Ireland have lost three Lions in Robbie Henshaw, Ian Henderson and Tyke Furlan. I think that would be the main thing. Um, Tyke Furlan has become one of the four or five most important players in the Irish team. He's genuinely world class. He proved that in the Lions Test Series, as did Sean O'Brien and Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton. So two of those four are gone. And Robbie Henshaw was such a key figure in the, in the back line and defence, in attack as well, and was playing so well this season. And uh, Ian Henderson was outstanding throughout that Lions tour, actually just very unlucky that he paid for a sloppy first quarter when everybody was still jet-lagged and he missed the kickoff in the opening game against the Provincial Barbarians. But thereafter, his midweek performances were sensational. And another tour might well have made the Test squad. Just the competition was so ridiculous in the second row. So they're down a few important players. There's a little bit of inexperience here and there. I guess that's why um, people are a little bit more worried. I think also... I don't know if Darcy agrees with me about this, but I actually thought that Wales have played very well this, in this tournament. They're a good tournament team. They filleted Scotland the opening game, showed an incredible amount of ambition, um, very accurate, took their chances, were very clinical. And I thought their performance, although the TV3 panel is a top-notch, and I wouldn't like to disagree with the likes of Ron O'Gar and Shane Horgan and Matt Williams, I didn't think they quite got the credit Wales deserved in that game to be 12-0 down away to England, missing eight frontline players and keeping England scoreless for the last hour and playing the manner they did. I thought they created chances in a pretty wet, miserable day. And the two low scoring games of the tournament so far have been in mm. the two games in the rain. And people don't perhaps factor in that as much as they should do. What do you think, uh, Gordon? Like there's a, I, I found through the week, even like even something as, as arbitrary as the, the bookies odds, everything has tightened up as the, as the week has gone on. Uh, there seems to be a general sort of nervousness around about what, what Wales are going to bring. Do you share that or um, are you more yeah, confident? Yeah, I think the, as the Six Nations has unfolded, I think Wales have surprised a lot of people because they have delivered some pretty impressive performances given the volume of injuries they've had and the transition the players are going through. Um, but once we once Johnny got that kick in Paris, like people's imaginations lighting up Grand Slam, it all starts going off. And yeah. then we win um, with a really efficient performance against Italy. First 60 minutes when the full, full you starting 15 is on, you're picking them apart. So again, everybody is like, oh, okay, this is, this is still on. Yeah. And now you get, you know, you've got two games more before you get to, get to, get to um, Twickenham. And you start a natural apprehension comes into it and goes, oh, this game could be we could lose the Grand Slam here rather than you know be trying to win it in, in, in Twickenham. So I think that's probably the the beauty of sport, where we get to we get to discuss it, we get to have the chats about it now and go oh, kind of nervous about this Welsh team coming over. We talk ourselves into them a yeah, bit more kinda, than maybe they deserve. No, I think they. I think Jerry's right. I think they do deserve a lot of credit. They have you know they had nothing to lose in the Six Nations that they've gone out and they've fully embraced the, that Scarlets, uh, which is. Probably a proxy for the traditional way Wales used to play, and they've kind of embraced that. Um, they're playing with a bit in you know when they were playing against England right up until the seventy sixth minute. If Scott Williams scores that try in a corner, if Sam Underhill doesn't mm. do that incredible bit of defending and uh, you know uh, and wrestles England back into the game. I don't think England come back from that. Mm. Um, now he, he still has to get the kick, but he gets that. England don't come back from that performance how were they still in that game so there is something in there there's obviously a group of players who are playing well for each other this isn't the same group of players that are coming over to Dublin you've gotten a key change at 10 now Dan Bigger it 
There's no question of his quality. But does he fit in seamlessly into the way that Wales have been playing? I think that's an opportunity for the Irish defensive system because as much as Pratchell has not been, you know, had this question marks over them, he was the key orchestrator in that Scarlet's ergo Wales attack. Now, bigger plays a little bit differently. Liam Williams is coming from Saracens, so these guys are not necessarily, and Toby Falatel coming back in, um, are they going to, oh, he's not, he's uh, Ross Maillard, he's still, still in it. So are they going to be on the same wavelength? And I just think that's an opportunity. And the home advantage, you can't uh, you can't knock it. That was a big uh, a big thing for Gatlin to have to work out, Jerry, wasn't it? That the Scarlet thing has has you know that's been the sort of the identity for the first couple of games. But you can't when Dan Bigger is fit, you can't be leaving him out. When Liam Williams is back, you can't be leaving him out. Isn't that that's just the the facts of it? Or or had he a big decision to make there to, to sort of stick with what they had? Oh no, he definitely had a decision to make, no doubt about it. Reese Patch was part of that system um, and uh, the problem is that Reese Patch did not have a very good first hour in Twickenham. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong from even the kick through that should have resulted in a try. Yeah. The TMO wrongly yeah. didn't give it. Yeah. That could have changed his, the dynamics of the day for him. Um, the main reason Wales lost that game was the aerial battle. You think of the first try particularly when Reese Patchell, Reese Patchell, they targeted more than anybody in the backfield, and Anthony Watson did a great chase. Owen Farrell was probably the kick of the tournament so far. He's probably the player of the tournament so far, um, but still, in all, it was predicated on what happened in the aerial game. At a stroke, they've rectified that. I think that's part, a major reason why he's gone to bigger. Even though bigger hasn't played in six weeks, even though bigger is an Ospreys out half end to Northampton, not part of the Scarlet setup, he is superb in the air, both receiving and chasing his own bombs. He just has a great lead, brilliant in the air. So is Liam Williams, although he can be a little bit erratic, and so is Lee Halfpenny. So they're going to be much stronger in the air than they were in Twickenham. And Gatlin knows that when he when Wales take on Ireland, the aerial battle is key. It's where Wales beat Ireland in the air three years ago in Cardiff and they raced into a 12-0 lead and thereafter Ireland were chasing the game. So I think he did have a decision to make but I understand entirely why he made it. Mm. It's interesting just as you're talking there Jerry. so if Wales go after this aerial game it Mm -hmm. fundamentally moves away from what they've done in the first two games. Mm -hmm. So they haven't been practising how they're going to play this game and it's a different group of players going into it. So like, it's only a nuanced little point but I do think that is a potential opportunity for Ireland. Like, our guys in the air are pretty good as well. You have you have got you know, arguably the best fielder of the ball in uh, in in European, in, in world rugby. We don't playing at, playing at, yeah. playing at, playing at. his name. Yeah, so. That's how good he is. Yeah, so I think if Wales suddenly make the seismic shift and go away from what's been working really well for them, yeah, there's but, a, there's an inherent opportunity there but, for Ireland. Well, when they're deep in their own half, they will. Their exit strategy is never to give it line out. They do kick to the air. That's Wales can see the least line outs of any team in the world. They just don't, they've been at it for years. They just don't. I think England had seven line outs at Twickenham for all the dominance they had. They only had seven lines, and they also defended with great discipline. England only had two penalties. Their tackle count was amazing. So I think they'll want to keep the ball in field. Mm. And if they have the likes of Liam Williams and Dan Baker chasing the ball, they will be more competitive in the air from their own when they're exiting from their own half. The one interesting thing about Wales, though, and, and it's and it's funny, you know, the 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 Scarlet thing has been the sort of the overarching idea that people have talked about with Wales for the first two games. Mm-hmm. But I was looking, you know, you look at their their two games against England. They didn't concede for sixty minutes no. after after Johnny May's no. early scores against Scotland. They didn't concede for seventy seven minutes. Yep, yep. That's and uh, what is it like? Uh, that's that's essentially they've gone three of their four halves without conceding a, a score. And a little worryingly, in the last three Six Nations meetings between Ireland and Wales, Ireland have only scored two tries, one of which was a, a penalty try from a line out mall. 
Um, they are a tough team to break down. Like a lot of Warren Gatlin teams stroke Sean Edward team. Sean Edward's been there a long time. Gatlin's been there a long time. It's their line speed is very good and their work rate in defence is phenomenal. Against England, they made, um, they made 182 tackles and they only missed 18. Their forwards made 156 of those tackles. Mm. Like their front row made 46 tackles, Darius. Mm. Their two locks made 32 tackles and their back rows made 52 tackles and then the bench came in and contributed. Now that tells you where England were attacking. They were attacking an awful lot off nine. But it also shows you, uh, then only conceived two penalties. Like the two tries England got, one was from the aerial chase from Anthony Watson, that brilliant kick from Owen Farrell, that good finish from Johnny May. The other was a superlative 24-phase try, culminating with a brilliant offload by Joe Launchbury. That's the only way they could break them down. And then they couldn't break them down again for the last hour. Like, they are a tough nut to crack. Yeah, well, there's no, I don't think there's any argument with, with that. Their, their discipline is... Mm. I suppose that's one thing, when you're getting new players in, the one thing you can immediately get the people together with and on the same page with is your defence and the game of rugby at the moment really re- rewards defences rewards good discipline and good defences and Wales have embraced that and they've gotten two really good performances off the back of that now when you go back to their first game when they dismantled Scotland I think that was probably more of an illustration of the point they were rather than kicking the ball they were happy to play with the ball mm-hmm. and they were keeping it in hand and so they, that's the bit that they're I suppose is pulling them all together if they move suddenly away from that now into the Irish game it might it may it may disjoint them it's interesting anyway, unfortunately I don't know the answer but how many tries have Wales scored against us in those games as well because mm. we're quite hard to break down as well so I think there are you know we can get a little bit focused maybe on the sometimes that Ireland aren't necessarily putting away mm tries I think it's four darts off the top of my head Okay, George North got two last year do you remember Yeah, he got two the year before Toby Falatow scored off a scrum and I think it was won the previous games well. Yeah, so like it's not you know it's not a huge it's liable to be like that again isn't yeah, it yeah like, and that's that's the kind of games mm. we are in and it's, you know I'd prefer to be sitting here and talking about the the win um and maybe the one or two opportunities left on the on the, on the field, and you know the uh, the opportunities we went for missed and didn't didn't yeah. win the game. Mm. Um, but like this game is, you know, it always comes in uh, in like no matter where it comes in the tournament, it always seems to be one that the the Six Nations kind of pivots on for mm. for, for Ireland, um, and that's a brilliant place to be from the you know from the players' point of view because all these games within games, this. Uh, Battle has been brewing for years and years and years, and I'm like, I mean, like so, you know, um, with a with a with when I was playing for Leinster, a team down the road that you had a very uh, a very natural uh, dislike for um, <laughs> in matches, that started coming, and it it added to the game because mm. you were just there, like I don't care if there's November internationals coming, like this is this is my world. The Cup broader final. context means nothing. Ah, oh, good luck. Yeah. See you later. This yeah. and it was. Uh, you know, um, built off of uh, you know generations of guys like yeah. you know Anthony Foley waiting when they'd get out of their group. We wouldn't sitting in the Irish camp with a big smile on his face <laughs> and a cup of tea, and you're just like, I've got to, I've got to wear this now because <laughs> this is where we are. And this has crept into this Welsh game, and I really, I really did enjoy those uh, battles, and I know those players do as well because it gets personal and that adds a little spice to it. So let's talk about about the Ireland team. I mean, I was looking. I actually last night started counting up. Um, Twenty-eight players have got game time in the first two games for Ireland, and with uh, Chris Farrell coming in now, that's twenty-nine. So this is either a test of our strength and depth or a show of our strength and depth at, uh, at this point. Yeah, which sounds uh, it sounds almost like a 
Donald Trump as <laughs> <laughs> statements there. Um, I think it's since the November, I think November internationals, this is the first time we've been in a place where I think we have potential strength and depth. Um, as in we have players, we've lost Robbie Henshaw, who is, I know, incredibly instrumental in a lot of the good things that Leinster and Ireland do. And Chris Farrell is coming in and, yeah, it's not like for like, but we're looking at the concert there in Bundyaki and we're going, this, is, this isn't the end of the world. We've got Andrew Porter coming in now, young, young kid who acquitted himself very well against Italy. So I think the we've, we have a coach who has been able to strategically plan to develop players, giving them certain game time over the last maybe 10 internationals. Um, well, maybe not the summer and the November internationals. Mm. And we're potentially going to see the well. It's going to be tested now, at you know in the in the white hot, you know uh, test environment uh, this weekend. So we, in theory, it's been going very very well. And now we're going to put that firmly to the test uh, this weekend. So it's uh, it's one of those things that we're we'll, after the fact we'll probably know very very clearly. Um, but yeah. It's kind of hard to predict exactly how it's going to go. I'm quite bullish on how these. Uh, the, the people coming in are going to are going to perform. Yeah. It's been quite a vintage crop of under twenties coming through. When you think about it, like three of this team were playing in that World Junior Final three years ago, or two years ago, even only two years ago. So Porter, Stockdale, and James Ryan, and like I think Keen Healy called James Ryan a freak show yesterday, and he's just blowing everybody away by his athleticism, his work rate, his accuracy, his diligence. I mean, he if touch wood, he that boy stays fit, and they're they're trying to guard again. You know, they're trying to take care of him, not overplay him. Um, but he, he he could be around for a very long time and could mm. become quite a star of Irish rugby. Andrew Porter has all the ingredients to be a superstar as well. He's just phenomenally strong, brilliant ball carrier. He comes with that under-20 pedigree as well, as did Stockdale. So there is a, there's a, a young group of talented players like Jordan Larmer as well, Joey Carberry, all coming through. And I think a bit like Wales losing that semi-final of the World Cup when Elaine Roland sent off Sam Warburton, it made Warren Gatlin want to stay in Wales. Similarly with Ireland, I think that World Cup quarter-final defeat to Argentina is the main reason Joe Schmidt is hanging right. around because he wants to put that right. They both have a burning desire to put to rights the previous World Cups yeah. and they're both Kiwis and they're both staying until the 2018 World Cup and then they're both going back to New Zealand. <laughs> it's quite uncanny the similarities here. But I think Joe was building for the future and that's why Porter and Ryan were blooded in the summer. That's why he didn't go on the Lions tour. He went to Japan because he started the preparation for the World Cup then. And I think it's Slightly partly the reason by Porter's in there. He's such he could be such a long term investment that he could actually rival Tyke Furlong for a few years to come. Whereas John Ryan, unfortunately for him, conceded a penalty scrum late on in, in Paris and coaches, you know, have recent memories and uh, so that's why Porter's in there. It's a bit more of a gamble maybe, mm. but I think it's one certainly worth taking. I think Chris Farrell, I read Gordon's piece during the week, I think he's a really quality player. You know, it's amazing the journey he's taken and doing a profile of him for Saturday talking to schools coaches club coaches all the way up the line and talking to Bernard Jackman and Felix Jones about him and this progression he's made and the way he's embraced new challenges and he seems to have a really good temperament for the game he just seems to have a very good head on his shoulders he started boarding when he was 16 from a farming family in Tyrone and in Campbell College and was instrumental in winning the school's cup he, he had a couple of bad years injuries and stuff in Ulster and a bit of a logjam in midfield and goes to Grenoble on a development contract and becomes a standout player for them in the top 14, and then comes home, and rather than go to Ulster, he goes to Munster, embraces another new uh, challenge, and he comes into the Irish squad, and I thought he did really well in those November games, didn't he? He's a good defensive reader, he's better hands than we thought, 
I think I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too worried about. It. I think we are. I think Ireland does have a bit of strength and depth now, like not before. And you're quite you're quite as you say quite bullish about what Porter's going to bring. And I, I like I know we all you know Tyg Furlong is now considered one of our, our by far most important players. But you, you're you're not overly panicked about Porter coming in. Yeah, just one quick thing on what uh, Jerry's talking about there. I think one of the lessons learned from 2015 was. Key guys in the second, or not second, but the, the, the depth hadn't played an awful lot of important test rugby. Yeah. So you're mm. talking about, uh, you're talking about Porter playing. Mm. He needs to play important test games. If he's going to be a, a genuine alternative or if an injury happens that we have two players that can't perform. I think that that showed at, in the, we lost six or seven really important players and the guys coming in, only about two or three of them had decent Test not the not the volume game of games, time. but not the volume, the quality yeah. in it. So like yeah. this this game is potentially worth ten games yes. to Porter in his in his um, rugby IQ, his developmental process. He it's has worth more than the entire summer tour in that respect. I see where you're coming from without yes. a shadow of a doubt. And you want these kids going something. to work up with a good view of these games under the belt. Yeah. Ideally, well, ten tests or five high quality well, ones or whatever. Well, whatever they are. Let's yes. say. like whatever you know. There's probably about fifteen games we mm. hear in the world. That's Cup. all. Yeah, these are the ones that matter. Next mm. year, Six Nations are the ones that matter. Playing when it matters and delivering when it matters—that's a real skill, yeah. and that's something that you really want. So, yeah, I'm—I really, really impressed with this this guy. Every challenge he's come to, he has delivered in it. So, this is a unique challenge now because this is literally as high as it goes. Can you deliver when it really, really matters? And you know, Gatlin is an absolute great man for thrown out a comment and people jump on it and mm-hmm. you know it's almost in the Eddie Jones thing it's like smoke and mirrors and it's like ah you guys listen here's a here's a random comment you can go and have you can go and discuss that now and I'll try and get in your head a bit like a Pratchell in in Wales yeah yeah it, that kind of it's it's you know it's good I've always liked that about Gaddy um, but he's playing in, in a tight in a in a tight five he's not being left like a lamb out in his, Eddie Sullivan would say, he's not like a shag in the rock. He's not being <laughs> left out in his own. He's got the best, two of the best scrummagers in Rory Best and Keane Healy in behind him. And he has uh, Ryan and Toner, Toner behind in him, behind him. Yeah. Like He is in a very good place when he's going into there. Yeah, you can say Rob. Rob Evans is not a 80-cap international that's going after him. He's a 25-year-old with 20 caps. Let's put this all into a contextual thing. Yeah, they're going to try and go after him but Ireland are going to be aware of that and going, we're not going to protect him, but we're going to stand... <laughs> I can't believe going to say this. Go on, shoulder go to shoulder. on, Darcy. We all know what you're going to say. <laughs> you're going to stand with him and we're going to... And that's the that's the approach that these players are taking and say, yeah. we will stand together and we kind of... We will, we, we will support this guy for him to deliver. And that's a really... I think that's, that's why I'm not as uh, worried about it now. Ty Furlong, you don't have to worry about him. It's just yeah. like, here, listen, send eight people at him. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. blown him over. But I think this is really, really, I'm really positive about how he's, uh, how Porter's going to come through this test. Jerry, to wrap it up, like we, the, the handicap has been bet down from, from 12 points to, to eight points this morning. Eight 12, points. in hindsight, does look a crack. Good bet, doesn't yeah, it? But eight, I couldn't bring myself to back against eight, Ireland, obviously. Eight, eight still feels a bit chunky it to does, me, I've got yes, to say. You know? I've I mean, said 10. Have you really? Yeah. <laughs> mm. you Not think by 10? Yeah. Really? Right, then you get to Paddy Paris. <laughs> no, um, sorry, I'm the, I'm the cooler. Like I literally would destroy the IRFU if I if I bet on a game. I would, just, <laughs> I would like literally collapse Paddy Power. I would pretty much everything. Anything. So as long as they don't bet, they usually come through. Yeah, I'm worried about this one. Mm. I, I I certainly wouldn't be back in Ireland at minus eight. No mm. way, because it's historically it's so much on the day between Wales and Ireland. Of all the Six Nations fixtures, 
I find it the most fiendishly difficult to predict. Home advantage is very negligible. In the last 34 meetings, there have only been 11 home wins in the Six Nations and mm. Five Nations. In 34, the last 34 years, there's only been 11 home yeah. wins. In a tournament wins. where home advantage... Exactly. Now, lately, yeah. it started to apply. Sadly, it started to apply more in Cardiff than in yeah. Dublin because they've won the last two there. But Ireland are unbeaten at home under Joe Schmidt. The atmosphere will be completely different to what it was for the Italian game because the Irish crowd know this is a real no, threat. Yeah. Um, Wales expect to beat Ireland, Ireland expect to beat Wales. I just think on the day, particularly if Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton stay healthy and on the pitch for the 80, 90 minutes, whatever it is, 83 minutes, as we saw in Paris, then Ireland have every chance of winning. And I would, if you had, if you forced me to choose a winner, I'd go Ireland, but uh, I'm a little bit worried about it. To be sorry. So much of it is on the day. Not at all. Ireland by 10, that's that's what I'm going home with. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Yeah, like, I, 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 just for some reason, I'm just a little bit more bullish on this on this team. I just think... Sexton, I really like the Sexton, uh, Murray, Sexton, Aki, uh, and I just think the tight five. I think CJ, Levy, uh, just there's so many things to be positive about. Um, at the risk of using Eddie Jones's uh, thing, there's potential finishers there as well. Um, yeah, I just think there's, I think there is enough in there. I think Ireland will be able to force. Wales into giving away penalties yeah. and I think they will get two or three uh, scoring opportunities and take one or two, one of them at least. I'd expect Ireland just to be incredibly accurate. I, would, yeah. I just sense that so Josh Smith and the coaching staff <laughs> maybe I, I, I'd settle for one. <laughs> yeah. as, as, as would I. <laughs> Listen, thanks lads. Thanks a million for coming in. In the Irish Times weekend, retiring Director General of the GAA, Porig Duffy speaks to Maliki Clerken about the highs and lows of governing Ireland's greatest sports organisation. Jerry Thorny and Matt Williams discuss where Ireland's Six Nations campaign stands ahead of the crucial Wales game and immerse yourself in the weekend columns from Fintan O'Toole, Marion Keyes and David McWilliams. The Irish Times weekend. Your weekend's in good hands. The motion is carried 234 to 2. Motion 2. Motion 2 is an amendment to a rule in the official guide dealing with, uh, as part of the GAA GPA agreement, there was, uh, as part of that agreement, what else are we going to watch this weekend, Pat? We're going to watch GA Congress streaming live on GA.ie. Indeed we are. And actually, that clip that we heard there is is from last year's one, which I was at in person. And uh, sad to say, but that, that was actually one of the more interesting motions put last year. I know it doesn't sound like it in that little clip, but... It's the thing about Congress that people tend to kind of glaze over whenever we talk about it, but it's where all the big decisions are actually made. And the little ones. And the little ones. Uh, to be fair, this year there is not that many big decisions to be made. There are some interesting ones. Um, a couple, uh, motion one is from Central Council calling for um, all betting firms to be prohibited from any sponsorship mm. in the GA, which is a good one and is likely to sail home. Uh, there's also uh, motion 21, which is um, after been put forward by Tipperary, and it's they're going to put the n- a number on the amount of players that it takes to create a melee. Yes. The... Uh, sub headlined uh, the fun- country people do the funniest things <laughs> bringing bringing a motion to congress to define the amount of players that changes uh shamazel to a melee is uh, among the <laughs> among the more witless things that congress has had to spend its time on i would imagine well it doesn't it doesn't it has a funny kind of birth in that uh, tipperary got annoyed last year because jason ford was going to be given a two match ban yeah. for engaging in that incident with davy fitz which he was charged with being involved in a melee. And Tipperary objected and said, hang on, how many people does it take to create a melee? And uh, the CAC told them at least two. 
which is the most Irish answer that you could ever <laughs> get, really. As if you could have a one-person Malik. <laughs> and so Tipperary said, right, we're not letting this happen again. And so this is the kind of thing that uh, Congress goes Why, why did they up. pick five? Um, I, I don't know, because three <laughs> yeah, was exactly. a crowd. Yeah, and, yeah. That, yeah exactly. It, it just keeps the Irishness going. I it would it say. really it suggests, does. Yeah. yeah, they have no... Then we'll presumably sort out what argy bargy is and yeah. all these things as we go on. <laughs> um, another one that interests me, though, and slightly irked me that because it looks like it's certainly going to fail, is that the Club Players Association put forward a motion that all votes should be recorded, which they can be done really easily now because all votes are done digitally. Yeah. And as far as we know at the moment, first of all, Cork objected to this because on the grounds that if club delegates can't trust us to vote in the right way, then what are we at mm. was their basic reasoning. And this seemed kind of ludicrous that all the CPA wanted was traceability. But it turns out that, as as far as we know at the moment, every county in Munster is going to vote against this, which would make you think that this motion is definitely going to fail. And all it is is, is traceability. I thought the, the most telling uh, line that came from Frank Murphy at the Cork uh, County Board meeting the other night was that we know where this is coming from. Mm. The inference being that this is a CPA motion which we must squash under our boot at the merest, at the earliest sign. Like, the the whole idea is to make democracy, you know, let some sunshine in on, in on democracy. And these county boards seem affronted by the very notion that they are sending delegates up. Shocked, shocked I am mm. that a delegate would say one thing in a county board meeting or go with one mandate and then uh, change his mind when it comes time to press the button. And that's the thing, we know that happens all around the country. Yeah. Um, it will, though, be the last Congress for um, Park Duffy, the outgoing Director General. I read your interview. It's appearing in um, Saturday's Irish Times with him. I thought it was fascinating. And also, I was stunned by the fact that he said that he has basically lived away from his family for the last decade while doing this job. He has, yeah. Like, I say, uh, I've known Park Duffy for maybe 25 years. He was the principal in my school uh, when I was in fifth year and sixth year. I wouldn't have known him well. I got got to know him better, actually, when I started reporting on GAA. But uh, I had that sort of knowledge of his his family life and that kind of stuff. And I did know that, that, you know, he rented an apartment up here. Now, Monaghan, where he's from, Scotstown, where he's from, uh, as I'll put in the piece, it isn't the dark side of the moon. Like, you know, it's not like he's... You know, it's two hours up the road, but that distance is a distance, and especially his working life or his way of working is he's a morning person. He's at his desk in in Croke Park at seven o'clock in the morning and gets his best work done between sort of seven and ten. He's one of those people, um, and he just said that there was no way that he could do commuting. He couldn't do a sort of a two-hour drive in the morning and then start work because he would start work too late. And so he he, he lived up here the whole time. Um, and he's he's an interesting guy. I know I'd, I, I would disagree with him on, on certain things. I know that a lot of people would disagree with him more vehemently than me uh, on, on plenty of things. And he addresses all of that in the interview. Um, he talks about, you know, how commercialization has come into the GAA and he makes no apologies for it. He says, look, we have to remain relevant. That's how we do it. We have to put our best face forward and we can't do that without money. And he was interesting. You know, he was interesting stuff with the Sky deal. I like the fact that he's a sports nut. I wouldn't have guessed. Of course, it seems obvious that the GAA director general should be a sports nut. But him listening to baseball podcasts driving home to Monaghan is... 
And yeah, the Boston teams are his his big passion: the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Patriots, and Spurs in England. The the football team, the Spurs are uh, the Spurs. Jesus, Malik, the <laughs> Tottingham Hotspurs <laughs> of North London are uh, are his team, and he will get over to them a lot more. Funny enough, he says that he's uh, looking forward to when they get back to White Hart Lane. He doesn't quite like. Uh, Wembley even though they're doing better there but uh, he will be yeah he's moving on with his life Um, it'll be in the next couple of months that it'll be time to go and he won't give it a backward glance well it's well worth reading in Saturday's paper yeah and that is what is happening off the pitch Uh, there's plenty happening on the pitch as well and we have Ian O'Reardon and Keith Duggan on to talk about the weekend's football Keith Mayo and Dublin are playing in Castlebar on Saturday night but it's a bit of a watered down fixture uh, considering all the players that Mayo are missing, yeah, exactly, Maliki. Um, I mean, it is as you say; it's it's a really it's it's a really big, tasty fixture for for this time of year. But um, I imagine it'll be um, it'll be long forgotten by by July or August. Um, yeah, Mayo Mayo tend to get themselves into sort of sticky situations around this period of the league. Um, generally speaking, you know, they their their form is it, it, it tends to fluctuate fairly wildly. Um, Obviously, a lot was made of their defeat to Galway in in Salt Hill, and you know they they looked like a pale version of themselves that day. But they're also missing, I think, seven of the of the team that had started in the All Ireland final last September, and they may be missing more this weekend. I think there's there's talk of Brendan Harrison, possibly Paddy Durkin being out. Killian O'Connor will be suspended with a red card, so it's going to be. Um, well, not quite a makeshift, but certainly an experienced Mayo team that's that's uh, facing Dublin. Ian, what what can we reasonably expect that Mayo want from the league? Yeah, I mean, Keith's right there. They've been here before, sticky situations. They somehow escaped relegation last year, the last day, the last maybe in the last minutes of the game. Um, I was reading somewhere they haven't been relegated in about 20 years, so they'll want to stay in Division mm. 1. I think the point I would make is here that if you look at the 2018 model, the Mayo model versus the Dublin model, I mean, it's quite obvious which, which car I'd rather be driving here, OK? And I mean that on so many levels. Number one, I mean, Dublin have been on the road. The mileage on their clock is enormous. I mean, they're well over the 200,000 miles, I think, at this stage <laughs> for a car or kilometres, whatever that might be. And a lot of wear and tear. And it's all very well to say it's only the league, but there comes a point where that, I mean, why are they missing so many players? Why are players injured? Why are players, you know, getting frustrated? Sorry, about, you're talking about Mayo here. I'm talking about Mayo, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, which, which the, the point being that there's only so many, there's only so far you can go before all that, all that adds up. Whereas Dublin, they just keem to keep regenerating themselves. Um, I mean, every year they produce what looks like is going to be a key player. This guy is probably going to be Brian. Sorry, Brian Howard this year. So early days, yeah. But I think I think probably this year more than ever. I think I think Mayo are struggling, and I just I just I, I really do wonder. You, you know, when it comes to uh, August September, will they be able to get back to that that shape again? Yeah, and I guess that's for down the road. I I just I just wonder at this time of year, Keith. Like like I know the soundings. Over there, nobody's really expecting a win on Saturday night. Nobody's they're they're sort of hoping to keep the score down. Essentially, um, does it matter to them? Do, do, like, are are they? But are, are they more just kind of sanguine enough about the fact that it'll all come around in time for the summer? Um, I think it matters that they stay up. I don't think losing on Saturday night would be the end of the world. I mean, obviously they prefer not to. But I remember being struck. I wasn't at the. Uh, Monaghan Mayo game the open day of the league but I saw the um, interviews afterwards and I remember being struck by Stephen Rotter's expression he just seemed sort of pleasantly surprised that they'd gotten anything from the game yeah. um, and so they had those two points uh, kind of in the bank quite early 
I have a funny feeling they'll just they'll do enough to stay up, which is what they've been the masters of over 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 the past number of years. And I think that really since twenty eleven, since James Horan took over, that really what they've been doing in the league has kind of been a response to what happened in the previous year's championship. That they're just literally gathering themselves, um, sort of physically and morally for for the next assault, and they're not all that concentrated on on doing anything special in the league. That's my sense of it, anyway. Yeah, I get a bit of the odd time. I get a bit fooled by them. I, I definitely yeah. for this fixture last year uh, when they came up to Croke Park on a Saturday night. I think it was round four. It was it was yeah. one of the middle rounds anyway. And they scored seven points. Yeah, and I got totally fooled by the build up to that fixture. I I became completely convinced that they were coming up. This was a chance for a statement. Yeah. You know, because the Dubs had drawn a couple of games. They weren't really very. They they had started slowly, and they were just completely supine. Like yeah. it was just a totally nothing performance out of them. So I just find it hard to get a measure of them this time of year, Ian. It's yeah, impossible. And, yeah, the other thing as well, I mean, you talk about rivalry here, okay, and I mean, may we think they've been probably the one team who've come closer to beating Dublin, but they haven't actually beaten them since the 2012 All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, they haven't beaten them under Jim Gavin. They've played 12 times since, I think. They've won, sort of, Dublin won nine, there's been three draws. Yeah. Um, so you're right, I mean, what what do we expect from maybe? I don't think anybody expects them to win this game for a start, but that's for all the reasons we, we've, we've outlined as well. But the other point as well, I mean, we're all kind of projecting where this might go, but I mean, I'd look at a player like Andy Morn. Um, I saw them the first day against Monaghan and they came out, they were all enthusiastic, there was great support there and like, you know, here we go again, we're back on the road and, and yet suddenly that, that, you know, that kind of didn't quite last as long and, and I'd be a bit worried about Andy Morn. I mean, he, like, I always remember at that age, when you get to that age, 34, 35 and I think it was Seb Coe who said like, you know, you're, you're one hamstring tear away from oblivion, like you don't come back at that age. We've seen with Bernard Brogan and, you know, you, just, you look at that Mayo team and like, where are the younger players who might be there when it comes to the showdown in September and that, that's what you're looking for this time of the year and unfortunately, that's not really what we're seeing with that is the interesting thing about them Keith because uh, the players that have come through for them over the last couple of years like I think the first couple of times you saw Paddy Durkin you went right there's one mm-hmm. the, that's that's definitely one when you saw Dermot O'Connor you went right there's one that's okay yeah where's the where who like you know Stephen Cohn eh, maybe you know and he, he he was captain of the Sigerson team last week and it was a big achievement for him where's the where's the rest of them where's the next two three four yeah, that's true. And I mean, Brendan Harrison has come through as well over the past couple of seasons, um, spectacularly so. But yeah, look, there's no. I mean, when when you when you compare a team to Dublin, everything looks fairly uh, yeah. fairly impoverished, <laughs> fairly bleak. Yeah, true. Um, but look, there's no question that what's happening with Mayo is that they've had this phenomenal group of players who've just kept pushing uh, over the past six or seven years. And that is going to stop. Like they are, they are going to. They're just not going to compact some year. I guess the question that's kind of been posed throughout every league over the past couple of years is: Is this the year? And yeah. again, all the signs are there. If you want to read into them right now, uh, that 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 maybe it is. I just feel that you you just can't trust any of those. I I I don't really sense that they're really interested in in even discovering themselves just yet. Whether whether they have the stuff to go for another uh, for another summer, I I get the sense. I mean, I I wouldn't. I I'd, I'd be like you, Keith. I don't. I don't imagine that they will get relegated. I think they have. You know, their their last three games are away to Kildare, at home to Tyrone, away to Donegal. Yeah, that's the. 
three teams that are either level with them or below them in the table, you know, essentially you're giving them their own destiny to to play out uh, in games that they have to win, getting getting their better players back. I know Keegan is back training. I know Vaughan is going to be out for a while. Mm-hmm. Killian will be back. Um, there seems to be no particular clarity over when Keith Higgins is going to stop hurling. Um, he, I think he was the top scorer for the hurlers last weekend. Yeah, uh, and so there seems to be no particular clarity as to when or even if that's going to end. I, I would imagine it surely will, but we don't we don't know for sure. Yeah, uh, but they'll they'll find their way out of it. I, I I guess I certainly certainly have more confidence in them finding their way out of it than some of the teams around them. Yeah, I think so. Um, sort of five, six, seven points seems to be their 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 league speciality, and they're kind of you know they're vaguely on target for that, regardless of what happens this weekend. They won't particularly enjoy it if 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 Dublin come down and and give a masterclass, but um, don't think they'll be losing all that much sleep either. Yeah. At the same time, you look at Dublin and just last word on them. I mean, they're they you know the way they hit the ground running, it's it's so impressive. And I think you look at a player like Brian Fenton, um, like they got you know, Macaulay back in midfield as well. They just they just seem to time their 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 off season to perfection. It's, it's still early days, I know, but then. Stephen Cluxon, by the way, making his 100 league appearance on Saturday night as well, which is a huge, a huge landmark. And you might think, well, why is he not wrapped up in cotton wool, that kind of <laughs> I thing? But I he- saw that stat the other day, and, and it is to my eternal shame, and it doesn't say anything good about me, that my first reaction is, jeez, 100 league games, could you be arsed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure I'm, sure, I'm sure he hasn't given it one second's thought. I mean, I'd say if you asked him tomorrow like what, how many league games he played, he'd have no idea. But that, hey, that's, that's what we're here for. <laughs> well, we're certainly not here to ask him. When's the last time any of us got to ask him anything? Never mind. <laughs> how many league games he's played uh, Keith well, uh, the other really interesting game in the weekend um, is up uh, your part of the country Donegal and Kildare uh, both teams started uh, 0-3 I, I went through some stats like the team that loses this game is almost certainly going to be relegated in the 2000s so in, the, in this decade um, teams that have lost their first four league games the across the top three divisions only Kerry in 2013 survived is that right so 10 teams lost their first four games nine of them were, were relegated so the team that loses this game is is more or less done you would imagine so it's it's a, a really big one really interesting one from the point of view that they're both on zero points but they both have played pretty well they have I mean results sort of disguise everything in the league and it, it, it doesn't take all that great of a leap of imagination to to see both um, Donegal and Kildare, you know, sitting fairly comfortably in the league right now. Both lost games by a point to Galway and Kerry in Donegal's case, and uh, Tyrone and Monaghan uh, in Kildare's case, and then both fell short in different ways against uh, against Dublin. So you're right; it's obviously it's it's a it's a crucial it's a crucial game, and it's a really tough assignment to think for Kildare. Um, Ballyshannon is a place that Donegal tend to have a fairly good record. They obviously um, won the McKenna Cup on Sunday night, which was kind of a significant result for them, I think, and for Declan Bonner in his first term. Um, they've got Michael Murphy coming back. I think Neil McGee made an appearance at some point in the McKenna Cup final. So things are starting to fall into place a wee bit for them. And uh just feel it might be, uh, might be a step too far for, for Kildare, but I do think it would be a very, very competitive fixture. 
Yeah, I agree with Keith there because going back to the Dublin Dublin Donegal game, I think that Donegal were the one team really kind of pressed Dublin really hard in the second half. Uh, Paddy McBurty is playing. I don't know how he how he's so consistent, but I mean he hit seven or eight points in the second half, which he probably sh- you know as the saying goes, he'd no right to. So yeah, I mean of all the teams that are in that position, they're probably they're probably the, the, the best the best team form at the moment. But who's, who found themselves there? So I agree. I think but Kildare they, again they've been consistent, but I think Donegal at home would be very hard to beat, and that, that should that should put them in a safer position. Yeah, I, I'm interested in Kildare. I've been actually at two of their games. I was at the the Dublin game and then the the one uh, a couple of weeks ago against Tyrone, which they were deeply unlucky to lose. You know, that was one of those games where, you know, it really depends on when the referee blows the final whistle. A minute earlier and Kildare would have been fine a minute later and they probably would have been fine as well. They probably would have got the draw. But it's just Matty Donnelly scored a, a point from the heavens just to, to win it. They're, I think they're... They are a team that look to me that that will improve. The harder the ground gets, there you know they have like Daniel Flynn is this sort of time of year is terrible for him because he still tries to hop the ball and run past people and that kind of stuff and it just didn't work against her and he kept running down blind alleys. I think they're they're an interesting side. Um, Donegal, yeah, Donegal Keith, they seem to be changing it up a little bit from other years, even the way they play. Yeah, they, they they definitely are. I mean, whether they persist with this for the championship remains to be seen. But um, I mean, as every, as everyone has seen, they've, they've put up some fairly impressive scores over the past couple of months. And um, there's been a couple of notable uh, returns as well. I mean, obviously, Oren McNeilis is back playing for um, uh, for for the county team. But also, I think it's really significant that Leo McLoon is yeah. back, and he's been. Um, Playing centre back, really essentially, is he? Centre back, yeah, and he's just. I always felt he was one of those. Um, kind of sort of like invisible superstars for, for Donegal in the years when they were pushing for all Ireland's. He just seemed to have his fingerprints over so many good things that they did and he's really just just I think he really stood out over the past couple of games. Yeah, you could always sort of depend on, on on Leo McLoon to sort of knit a, a move together. He'd be, you know, he'd be the fourth or third last pass before Ryan McHugh palms a goal away, but he, he he never, you know, he seemed to do the right thing all the right time. Right thing at the right time, and yeah, and he's just he's just he, yeah he he's just always involved in some way, and he's you know he, he provides um they're a fairly young and light team, and he you know he's got a physical presence as well, which is important. And even the manager Declan Bonner that night after they lost to Dublin, I think he knew as well that he was happy with the performance. He knew that they put it up to Dublin to a large extent in the second half, having played, having not played at all in the first half. Um, whereas Kildare, the problem with Kildare is like they're just back in Division One, and you'd want like to see them progress a bit on. I think it'd be it'd be a bigger deal for them to be relegated, um, which looks like they possibly will. Um, whereas Donegal, I think of those two two teams are definitely probably closer to where they want to be right now. Yeah, I think it's it it just the the look of these two teams. I, it is going to be unfortunate because it would be great for both of their development if they both stayed up. Yeah. It's nearly better for them to stay up than it will be for Mayo to stay up in a way, you know, because Mayo will get back and they'll, they'll sort of keep developing as, the, as they go. Whereas these two teams, they're both at a point in their development where they need another year of Division One football to really keep rising. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, Kildare just seemed to be in that sort of funk where they could really use a win that could that could sort of you know, put them in a different trajectory. But whether it's going to come on on um, on Sunday or not, I'm not certain. Interesting. All right, lads. Listen, uh, we'll leave the other two games. We might, uh, we might talk about them next week. Um, thanks very much for coming in, Ian, and thanks for talking to us, Keith. Thanks, Malcolm. Uh, thanks to the lads that were in earlier, Gordon and Jerry, for talking the rugby. Uh, to Declan, JJ, and Pat. 
uh, for helping us out behind the scenes. And if you want to get in touch, you can get me on Twitter at Malachy Clerkin. You can get Pat at uh, Pat Nugent Seven, uh, or you can get us an email at AddedTime at IrishTimes.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you all next week. In the Irish Times weekend. To mark the grand final of the Irish Times debate in Queen's University Belfast this weekend, we're offering 50 pence off the paper all next week. Simply pick up the weekend edition to claim your voucher. And immerse yourself in the weekend columns from Fintan O'Toole, Marion Keyes, David McWilliams and Russell Carroll Kelly. The Irish Times weekend. Your weekends in good hands. Terms and conditions apply.